Yo, thank you for listening to Coffee Sometimes. If you're new here, then welcome. Every week we talk about coffee, business, and some other stuff in hopes that some of the things we've learned in the past can help you in your coffee journey. We really like doing this, and the best way you can help us continue is by subscribing and liking our content on YouTube and following and reviewing on your podcast app of choice. Lastly, if you find what you hear helpful, please share on your social media platforms and with your friends who might be interested in learning a thing or two about coffee and running a coffee business. All right, thanks for listening. Here's the show. Coffee sometimes. So how often do you podcast? This is fun. Is it fun? Yeah. The fun thing about it for me is being able to spend time with these guys. Oh, because oh, sweet. If we let the business just be the business, we can kind of get right. away from each other. Mm. But it's almost like an extra fun meeting yeah. to mm. recalibrate I like and it. come together and share ideas. Maybe we should do that. That's a good idea. Yeah. Yeah. So that's fun. And then it is awesome. My probably second favorite part is having guests on mm. to share because we have a lot of people that listen that are either starting coffee companies or they really you have to really love something to listen to a podcast about it i feel like if mm. it's going to be something yeah, as specific yeah, yeah. as yeah. coffee so either they love valor or they love uh someone in valor like our parents <laughs> yeah or uh or they love coffee and want to have a career in it. So mm-hmm. it's been cool to have other people on who have made careers out of coffee, whether that's like coffee shops yeah. or roasters. Um, that's why I'm excited to have you guys on to share what does it look like to have a career further or for, further upstream in the mm. coffee supply chain. Mm. That is so aligned, and I'm going to like re-answer the initial question on what brought me to Atlanta, and it's because our... Our biggest thing, our biggest mission behind Unblended is to make coffee farming an exciting career path for young people. Mm. But we've, in that pursuit, we've come to realize that actually the, the two last ends of the linear supply chain, farmers and then baristas, are just as disconnected and mm. just as lost in their pursuit of coffee as, as in their career. Mm-hmm. So we've since Barry was a barista for seven years and a shop manager and he brought that experience into the team we have tried to get closer to the baristas and see how can we mm, work or inspire them or like use our platform if you will to help them further a career within coffee Mm -hmm. Uh, and Mainly the reason well, that's what we're doing this podcast in the afternoon. We're doing an event at um, Brush that's up mainly about the the new role of baristas. Oh. Um, yeah, nice. Yeah. How long have you been doing that? Doing what? The fulfilling your mission. Full. So ever since I we started, man, like this has been a, a purely mission for for me at least for purely mission-driven mm-hmm. pursuit. Like, uh, I have another job in full-time in, in Colombia, which has allowed me and allowed allowed us to have a team, right? 
And but but man, like this has been three years almost of oh. of just you know pushing it, pushing the boundaries of what can we do in coffee, and like I haven't taken a- any any money for me, you know. Mm-hmm. So this is like purely mission driven, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Yeah, that's awesome. I was thinking maybe you, Ethan, should kind of take an approach like that soon you know like not taking any money yeah we did do that for about three years so we're oh okay so it's going to an end for me okay yeah maybe maybe this is the year of uh taking taking something for for lucas you believe in our mission that much right absolutely uh but i think i have a deeper mission of uh you know lining your pockets yeah lining my getting a second yacht yeah right yeah uh, getting my third lake house blah 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 you love the lake. I love, yeah. Just give me stagnant water. That's what I want. So, so what are you guys? What are you guys doing uh, at Brash? You said it was. Uh, so, the name of the event is um, the future of coffee, right? What is it? The future is young. The future mm. is young. Mm. The future is young. And how? And it said this. I mean, we're going to have a presentation, which we can like show it to you guys right now. Then we're going to have a cupping, and we're going to explain Uvi to the baristas at Brush and, and other people that signed up to the event. You guys are invited if you want. Thank you. It's all the way in Brush, but it'll uh. <laughs> be nice. And But, yeah, it will be mainly a discussion of how we see the supply chain, how we think it, it needs to change, and in that change, what's the new role of the baristas? Mm. What else, what else Barry? We'll be introducing new Uvi mentors, Sebastian yep. Ramirez, um, Diego, or no? So <laughs> the idea was Diego to be there, but he had, yeah, yeah, yeah. I haven't been able to get a hold but, of him this morning. But yeah, the, I- the whole idea, the theme is to bring <clears throat> all the different pieces of the supply chain together to mm. have a conversation, to be involved, to be collaborative. So there's... You know, there's baristas, there's the roasters, there's there's us, there's importers, there's the producers that we work with, and really how we see the supply chain uh, in traditional, you know, historically, it's a linear, it's a step-by-step, goes straight down the line, coffee gets passed along, and, and as it goes, it builds, you know, value. Like, And really how we see it is if we think about it more as a circle, and the value that's being created is in the middle and we're all kind of gathered around that. And so really what we want to do is come together in events like this to add, add value to the coffee that, that we're all enjoying. Mm. Sounds awesome. And for listeners and partially for me, what is UVI? UVI stands for unblended Ventilla Institute. So unblended is obviously us. Ventila is the name of the farm of one of our main producer partners. His name's Felipe Trujillo. Mm-hmm. Uh, his business is is Ventila, and it's a partnership between us and him. But really, Uvi is a incubator for young coffee farmers to come into community to really view their farm as more of a business uh, and view it in a different way that they see it as a brand that they are building, that there's ownership in that there's opportunity for them to be collaborative with roasters here in the U S with baristas. There's uh, they expand their portfolio, try new things through creative processing and 
outside of just washed coffees so they can build a portfolio that like meets the market's needs or what the market's looking for. And then also the last step is like that connection piece to like participating in projects, uh, collaborative events like this. Like like we're having Sebastian Ramirez video call in to this event that we're doing this afternoon. And the idea is for them to participate because uh, in the in the historical you know supply chain, like most farmers sell their coffee and they say bye bye to it and that's it. You or know, maybe they have like one picture of them right waving mm-hmm. or something. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But yeah. But the idea is to be to have authentic and genuine collaboration. Mm. Yeah. So for for the listeners and maybe if you guys don't know, the average age of a coffee producer in Colombia is sixty three. Wow. And the, this, I mean, that's already scary. But only in twenty nineteen it was uh, fifty five. So the rate of increase in age, there's like there has been almost no young people since 2019. That's like what the statistics tells us. Mm -hmm. So if you project that rate, we're not going to have any, I mean, any coffee farmers if nothing changes in Colombia. But then if you look at world data, it's over 55. Wow. Wow. So, and then if you look in the U.S., it's actually higher for all farmers, not only coffee farmers, I mean, all farmers. So people are, you know, fleeing outside of agriculture. Mm-hmm. So for us, doing this within coffee, that's a little bit more, you know, hype, uh, craft. There is a culture around it. It's just an avenue to create meaningful careers in agriculture. Mm-hmm. Mm. Mm. The next generation of coffee farmers. Hell yeah. Now, if you don't mind my asking, do you, how old is Sebastian? So he is 34. He's pretty young. But he's a mentor. Ah. He's a mentor. And so Ubi is uh, designed as a mentorship system. So we have the mentees that are younger producers. There is Valeria, who's 18. She doesn't own the farm, but she's wanting to you know, pursue a career mm-hmm. in coffee. Then we have um, Carolina, who's 31. She is a lawyer also, but is wanting to take over her mom's farm. And she's been, you know, doing these processes. And there's like, just in this container that's arriving, we have five coffees from her. Uh, The first time she's built a portfolio that's more than just washed coffee. And then we have people like, like David, you know, who work with his dad, but he's like wanting to take the marketing lead at least, who's 21, mm-hmm. and, and, you know, deciding just now if he wants to go to college or, you know, study something that's kind of going to help him improve at the farm. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, on the mentor side, we have Felipe, as, as Beros very mentioned, and he's like 50-something, you know. Mm-hmm. And he's the he's my mentor also, oh. and and we have uh, Jaime, who's I think he's seventy two, is one of the mentors, and then we have Sebastian Ramirez, and then uh, just recently Diego Campos, the the guy that won the barista championship, and he's he's playing an important role because we also want to use Diego's experience to further the careers of the baristas, mm-hmm. of the roasters that we work with. Mm-hmm. Um, so so we're trying to, we're seeing that there is more dimensions of this mentorship and mentee program. Yeah. 
On the Futurist Freelance Podcast, we believe freelancing is the future of life, work and everything. So whether you're brand new to working independently or you're a seasoned pro, we'd love you to listen. Every episode unpacks new ideas on how to make your future freelance. Whether you need to achieve business minimalism, survive a solopreneur crisis, or find the right digital nomad visa and community, we've got you covered. Alongside actionable insight on everything from finding gigs to outsourcing support services, even mastering TikTok with no dancing required. Subscribe to The Futurist Freelance on your favorite podcasting app via the link in your show notes. Um, yeah, so I'm interested to hear, you know, obviously the, the average age of farmers is, has been going in the wrong direction. Mm. Um, what, you know, what career paths are kind of leading the way for these younger people that are kind of diverting their attention? And does any of that have anything to do with, you know, the generational gap, you know, like have I guess specifically what I want to know is, is a part of it that prices have been so low for coffee for so long that these farmers wanted something different for, you know, their kids who they may have passed along a family mm. business to? Um, and maybe is there any potential swing for that as prices are hopefully increasing with quality of coffee and, you know, consumers being willing to pay more? So, so yeah, all, all of the above. So I think, um, yeah, parents... Actually, like Valeria's dad got mad at us because he wanted her to go to college. And she's like, <laughs> we're like um, making her think twice, you know, that she wants, she really wants to be a coffee producer. Mm -hmm. And then her dad really wants her to go to Medellin and go to university and, and, and get a career and, and get ahead, a proper career. But the problem, and here's my first, I guess, critique or change in vision of the coffee industry is that the, the pricing problem is a symptom. It's not the root cause. It's like fever, but the illness is different. It's more systematic, more structural. And, the, and how, how I describe it is that coffee is a commodity and has been under, same, under the same structure since the 1600s, you know, uh, or 1700s, right? And all of these commodities, oil, cotton, uh, coal, work with supply chains that are very similar. They are logistics and finance businesses that are optimized for mass consumption and mass production of uh, consistent goods, right? So all the supply chain is optimized for that. Um, so Olam, you guys know, there's, there's Olam Coffee. Mm -hmm. They're actually largest with other commodities. Like they sell cotton, right? So that same business structure, they applied for their different commodities and verticals mm. that they work with, right? So when, when you have a structure that's optimized for uh, mass consumption and mass production of uh, consistent goods, but at the other end, you have a farmers that hold less than one hectare of land, it's natural that everything gets mixed and it gets blended, right? Which is the name of... And, and there's nothing wrong with blends. Mm -hmm. What's wrong is that in that blending process, the authorship, the work, gets lost 
in a sea of anon anonymity, right? Mm -hmm. And that creates the problems that's causing the young people to flee outside of the industry. And so that's, that's the context of the commodity that's optimized for volume and not for recognition or uniqueness or singularity. That's the first important thing to understand. The second thing is that specialty coffee was only created in 1974. Before that, all the, the brokers were selling one container at a time. Nobody, nobody was selling by the bags. That was, that was not a thing. And then the, the, these um, brokers, like commodity brokers, had very large and concentrated clients. Mm -hmm. Nestle, right? Uh, Folgers. And then these big brands needed to have consistency in their products, like Mountain Blend, French Roast Blend, right? That needed to taste the same all year round in all their locations and distribution channels. So what these brokers were doing were copying for uh, defects and copying for consistency based on the different harvest. So they needed to like take some of the African coffee and blend it with the Nicaraguan harvest that was available, try it and be like, oh, this is the profile for mountain blend of Folgers. Here you go, three containers, right? That, that was how sales were done at the time. But then in 1974, there were different historical moments going, going on. And then there is this lady called Erna Knudstin. I think that's how you pronounce it. Have you heard of her name? No, no? never. No? Oh. So Erna was working in, in this company, but women were not allowed at the copying room. And then somehow, and I don't know the details, but um, she, you know, she got a hold of the copying room after hours. And she started practicing, and she really liked that 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 activity. Mm -hmm. And she learned how to cut very well. She had a skill, and what she discovered was that coffees. Well, she she it's not that she discovered. People knew this, but she found value in it. She found value in that coffees from Africa tasted differently from coffees from Mexico, and that some people preferred coffees from Africa than coffees from Mexico. And even further, she discovered, well, or she found value in, discovered value in that coffees from different parts of the country, of Colombia, for example, taste differently. Uh, and then in separating lots, she found an opportunity to create value. At the same historical time, there was this anti-corporation movement that was uh, starting to build up in California. And then with this anti-corporation movement, people started to roast at home mm -hmm. and people started to buy from, from, the, from their friends, right? And then there, that was the first time that people started to build home, home roasters, home roasters and craft roasters. And then she found the value and she find the customers to buy, to sell by the bag. So she would, and then obviously nobody at her company uh, thought that was a good idea. She was like, why are you losing time selling one, two bags when we have customers buying three containers at right. a time? You and, know? and how big on average is a container versus a bag? Okay, so one container is 20,000 pounds. Uh, we'll have to divide because I don't know. I don't, I don't have my 
my phone. Let's see. Hey, where's your phone, Barry? <laughs> <laughs> like so, 128, right? Sex? 128 sex, yeah. yeah full yeah, sex. Yeah. Full, yeah, oh, full yeah. 70 kilos sex. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. So she was selling by the bag. And she was selling, like, okay, I have three bags of this farm. And she was basically copying to separate those lots and find customers and and th- that sort of allowed her to create a more profitable business because she was adding value in finding the, the difference, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. But if you if you look at if you look at it, specialty coffee changed how coffee was sold in the U.S. first, and then in the world in consuming countries. But it never changed how it was produced and brought to mm-hmm. the. So there was a change in the demand side, but never on the supply side, mm. and that has obvious problems. Because it's an industry of that has as a promise higher quality, differentiated coffees, but works on top of a commodity structure. Mm-hmm. So the most pressure to scale specialty coffee always comes from the farmers mm-hmm. that always have a choice. You see? Always have they always have the choice. They to either continue being a brand like Sebastian Ramirez, year by year, putting out higher quality, differentiated products that come to a market that's already developed in consuming countries, or sell it to the mass commodity structure where it's blend and it's lost in a sea of anonymity with other uh, producers in the area. Mm-hmm. So the biggest choice is from the producer to want to be, you know, unblended. I mean, sorry for the cliche, but like to... Hey. <laughs> it makes sense. <laughs> so that that's that's the meaning behind this, this sentence. Uh, and that's the biggest pressure for this, for our industry. And it's that since that choice is so mm, important but yet the structure, there is no a, a different structure for specialty coffee than it is for coffee. The people at the farm, they just feel so disconnected for, uh, from how much we value their products and their work. Mm-hmm. They, they don't know. They don't know. So that's why they're fleeing. Mm. That was amazing. A fantastic <laughs> answer. Mm. Yeah, so... So then what? Like, what are you going to do about it? What are we going to do about it? <laughs> well, Ubi? <laughs> yeah. I mean, so, that, so that's why you've created things like Ubi and... Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the, the biggest thing is how you understand the business dictates what you do and the, how you organize a different structure. So coffee within the commodity realm is a logistics and finance business. That's why we talk in terms of exporters. We talk in terms of importers. That's why logistics plays such a big role. Mm-hmm. Like we see these big importers, they are essentially finance companies that trade, that hedge all their positions against the, the sea market that are, have big deals with shipping lines and that makes them a logistics company. But specialty coffee is a brand's business. It's not a logistics or finance. It's a brand's business. 
And we've seen a lot of that come through in the last 10 years from Panama, from Colombia, that we start seeing a lot of experimentation and brand development. People get more savvy. Like we see the, La Inmaculada, eh, Granja La Esperanza, even Sebastian Ramirez. We see La Palma y El Tucán, these farms, or Panama Geisha, mm -hmm. La Matustes. All of these uh, brands start to build their reputation and recognition. Mm -hmm. And that creates the, the accountability that we need in specialty coffee because now that La Palma y El Tucán has been established in the world, that they've won several world championships in baristas, every year they're going to be to put, put out better and better products. Mm -hmm. So how can we build a system that scales and invites people into a brand development business? So that's why at Unblended, we, I mean, we just say we're importers because that's the, the language that we use in the industry. Mm -hmm. But really, the way we see our, our, our business is we're in the business of developing, distributing, and promoting brands. And we do this in collaboration with you guys, the roasters. Mm -hmm. You guys are our avenue to the consumers that already like these products that in a, in a collaborative work, we create them the need to keep asking for, for example, the orange wash, time after time. Like, oh, you have this again, mm -hmm. and it, it becomes a brand. And then we hold Felipe accountable for putting out consistent product of the orange wash that he is now positioned with you guys at Valor, right? Mm -hmm. But how can we develop a system that invites younger people into that same pursuit? Mm -hmm. And that's why we saw the need of creating Uvi, that was a brand incubator for young coffee farmers. So, I mean, part of what you're trying to do is just raise the perceived value of each coffee as it comes from the farmer, because there's no current, there's not many brands attached to where that coffee's coming from. Is that so? For, for us, the and, and for you guys too, is how. How can we um, have good coffee year after year, all year round? And how can we, if, if your customers are asking for more of those experimental, how can we um, design a system that is going to allow me to have next year better and ex more experimental process, higher quality? And we want to do it. We want to do it. You guys want to do it. Your customers want to buy it. But then the the farmers always have a choice. Mm -hmm. They can be like, do I spend an extra amount of time sorting and harvesting this coffee? Do I want to go through the hardship of, uh, you know, taking care of the, the crop? Do I want to go through the extra time and work and hustle of drying this for 20 days when I can just, you know, wash it and, and send it to a cooperative and Get right. my, my, my money back. So they, they're, they're, the real choice always comes from them. If they want to invest in, in developing different products so we can buy them and you can buy them, we can sell them together. Or just like uh, dump it to, the, to yeah. the pile of the cooperative. It's almost like it doesn't exactly translate the same way, but it's like if we spent so much time cupping and sourcing and roasting coffees, 
and then just dumped it in to a massive pile that was going to the Starbucks all across the yes. world. Exactly. It's like, would we care? Would we continue to yeah. care so much and keep trying to innovate and make it better? Exactly. Or would we start to just slowly lower and lower the standards and be like, well, the other stuff's way worse and they're getting the same money and same credit, so just dump it in. Right. Hey, that's the perfect example. Like, you just imagine that you got a, a deal with Starbucks and then they would tell you a price. Mm-hmm. You would come in the morning and then you would check, oh, shoot, the price for roasted coffee today is eight fifty, eight fifty a pound. Right. You're like, God damn it, eight fifty a pound. Yeah. Well, no, no, actually, Ross, don't, don't, don't color sort it today. There, <laughs> right, right. Yeah. Don't destone it today. Don't destone it today. Don't watch the curse today. Yeah, Go yeah, take yeah, a lunch yeah. break. Mm. Wow, that makes so much sense. Mm. Um. So, with all of that, do you guys price your coffee against the sea market, or out of you know necessity and you know the the just how the market has gone? Because I, I guess you know. We've been talking a lot against that model, mm. clearly. But are there still just, like, hurdles that prevent, you yeah, know, straight I mean, from it's that? Uh, so there are two different businesses, like mm-hmm. the, the logistics and finance business that's regular coffee that works like that, pegged to a, a, a market price. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there is this brand business mm-hmm. that supposedly is a value-driven business that would have nothing to do with the market price. But the reality is different, especially now that prices are going up every day Mm -hmm. because you get a different sort of cost, which is opportunity cost for the producers. So our business always, always needs to have a differential against the market. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, they wouldn't go to the trouble of selecting it, fermenting it differently, processing it, and everything. But... For for us right now, has been really difficult to have fixed prices because we fixed a price and then the market goes higher. Mm-hmm. Like right now in Colombia, the the if you wanted to buy the shittiest coffee in Colombia, three fifteen. Wow! Wow! The FOB. Wow! The shittiest coffee. That's so crazy. It's cr- and and then you know some months ago it was on in in the twos. Two dollars, yeah. kind of thing. So every time we we get a, you know, we we have some. We just tell them we're gonna pay you more. This is the thing right now. This is the price, but we were we know that we probably need to renegotiate it when they when they have the coffee ready. Otherwise, they they say no, they, it came out bad, and they just sell it to a to a cooperative. So we always have to be mm, paying them. Right, right now, higher uh, than the, the market, obviously. Mm-hmm. You know. have, have you found that, like these young people, the the mentees, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah the mentees, Mentos, Mentos. I love Mentos. Um, do they have more of an interest in these experimental processes than some of the older people, or have you have you had trouble finding the right people to push out that product? No, 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 no. They they love that. They love they love experimenting. They love what they love the most is the recognition that they get yeah. uh, from roasters. So every time that we launch a coffee, we try to do a, a call roaster marketing team and then the producer. 
and they love that. They feel recognized. They feel like their worth is being valued. They mm-hmm. feel seen. Um, the problem that we've had is with their parents. So their parents are the ones that are risk averse. So we got to tell them beforehand if we're doing a process that we're going to buy it all no matter what. And we have to pay uh, a proportion up front so mm. their parents are okay while we build this relationship. Well, now that with the most, um, the ones that we have the, the deeper relationships with at Uvi, uh, like we already have their trust and we're buying all of their production. So it, we don't, we're not getting pushback from their parents. Yeah. But from the new members, we get pushback from their parents. Like we buy coffee from the from their kids, but we really are negotiating with their parents. You know. Wow. Yeah, it's like whenever I go on a run and like I'm you know, I'm trying really hard on my run, right? But like I'm only running so that I can post about it on Instagram. <laughs> you know. And like, did I really run if I didn't post about it? No, I didn't. Didn't happen. Never happened. And so the to the recognition point, I mean. So what have you found have been like the most successful ways to give recognition to these farmers, mm-hmm. like on the barista level? Mm-hmm. What do you, what do you say, Barry? I'll, I'll answer it too. No, I think really our, like our goal is obviously like Lucas said, we have calls like with the producers and uh, with the roasters and, but sometimes working with roasters, like you kind of hit like, a roaster or a green buyer that's really involved and really passionate about like telling each producer's story. And sometimes it, it ends there or it only goes so far. Like you have to really get the entire team, like the company culture, like to buy into like promoting the producers that they're working with. And I think like we've, we've seen some disconnects between like the green buyer who really wants to give like recognition, but when it comes down to it, the last people that are, responsible for telling each producer's story are the baristas who are having those mm-hmm. conversations every single you know day with customers and mm-hmm. people who are coming in and like asking about coffee and and someone says hey what have you got and like oh i've just got this coffee you know whatever here you go you know it's a missed opportunity to really like give that recognition and let that um the incentive for recognition go further than just like the green buyer the roaster the inside of like a specialty coffee company to the, to the real market who are the Mm -hmm. people enjoying those coffees. And so that's kind of like what our focus is, um, at the event later on, it's like understanding your role as a barista. Like I was a barista for years, you know, and as a barista, then I didn't understand like fully my role and like now working like more in green coffee and working more, more with producers, like I understand now better than I did, like the weight of responsibility of like being able to communicate and talk well about the coffees that you have and the opportunity that you have to, to let that influence for producers go further. Yeah. Baristas have a huge, huge role. They're the ones actually pushing the industry forward. And then there's such a disconnect that they don't realize the importance that they play. Mm -hmm. They can literally be to their like everyday um, shopcomer or drinker be like hey you like this coffee how about you try this new experimental from Colombia I think you'll like it oh tell me about it no it's from this producer she's 18 years old this is her first natural that she's made and those arguments can be can like convince a person to spend one more dollar in that cup of coffee that day 
And that dollar goes so far, so far. Mm-hmm. And it's crazy how we rely on, on the barista as the last person. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I was telling Barry last time he was here, like my dream would be, and this is, this is a, I guess, a vulnerable side of this conversation. Um, my, my dream would be, you know, like to purchase one of your many fantastic coffees and just like throw it in our main blend. And I'm interested to hear what you guys think are the steps to make that possible mm-hmm. because, and I'm, I'm sure any of our listeners who are in the roasting business understand, like you, you taste these fantastic coffees and you're like, I want to buy so much of this. But the only way I can buy so much of this is for it to be, you know, one of those main coffees. Mm. And for that to happen, we would uh, we would just have to sell more expensive coffee to the consumer on the consumer end. And then we have from there a a client base, um, a, a customer base. Like the consumers have an expectation for wait. Your espresso isn't three dollars. It's three dollars down the street at insert coffee shop. Right. Um, but even if we're, you know, if we take a step back, we're like, oh, well, it's not that because, you know, we're, uh, partnered with this awesome company and they want to see younger people like step into the industry. Um, and then they're just like, okay, you know, <laughs> so how do we, how do we get to the point where we can do that sort of thing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So everything, everything needs to be validated by the market or else it doesn't work. Mm-hmm. So we think, well, the design of Uvi, it's only a good design if it translates to more profitable sales mm-hmm. for the roasters that we partner with and for the cafes that we partner with where it's their cafes or your wholesale accounts, right? Mm-hmm. If it's not, it's a bad program because nobody... You cannot. You can only go so far by creating petty or you know asking for donations. You can only go so far. Mm-hmm. The best change making programs are those who align market interest with social change. That's when you create real change. So, how can we do it? I'll give you an example that we've we're doing with Finca to Filter. It's a coffee shop in in Atlanta. Mm-hmm. Um, so we created with them a program called Fountain of Youth. It's a, it's a menu category that highlights coffees from young producers. And uh, within that category, we have uh, a blend, right, from different producers that's priced to be a, a coffee for espresso. And people, you know, people perceive it as a good value price, right? And then within the same category, they have um, eventual highlights of single producers from all these experiments that also give the opportunity, since it's within a program, for the baristas, and Barry has been there training their baristas, to talk about and have it as an extra argument to convince that customer to try that special release that day because it aligns with the company's mission of furthering uh, the next generation Mm -hmm. of coffee producers. So it has to be things like that. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, it it doesn't. So it basically needs to translate into better profit 
for you guys and for your wholesale accounts. Mm. And, 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 and let me tell you, it's 100% viable because now you're not working by yourself. You have a team behind. You have us and you have the producers. And in this, in the, in the table of collaboration, we can come up with better ideas to promote it and more value to give to your customers because we have your experience of knowing them. We have our experience kind of like in the middle and we have the authentic uh, side of things from the producer, all with one aligned mission. How can we you know, create a better experience for your customers? Mm-hmm. Mm. Uh, a good testimony of that and most people probably have put it together at this point but uh, Lucas and Barry are some of the people behind providing us the orange washed coffee that was the most popular like premium coffee that we've ever had Ooh. and that was something that we didn't you know you're talking about all these different methods and marketing we didn't even do anything close to that. We just put out an amazing coffee and loved it so much that we put it on our menu as like a special drink and people just, they went at it mm-hmm. and went super fast. Wow. Nice. So just thinking that's such a good indicator of like, if we just show a little bit of differentiation, mm. be like this, Hey, this is special. Yeah. And I guess that's probably where the experimentation of processing really helps elevate it because even for someone who's not like the most nuanced coffee drinker and you're just distinguishing distinguishing between different washed coffees you can give the orange wash or i'm sure with that like lemongrass incubation you could give that someone they'd just be like whoa (laughs) this is different and so i love that that was so well received and that was without even you know bringing up felipe and all these Mm. the different parts of it but i love how we can integrate that more and more into the model and i think i i I totally want that too one day he's talking about like what does it look like to get it so well received that people don't even know they're getting it Mm -hmm. to a certain extent like it's Mm -hmm. just we're selling so much of it that some of those coffees just make their way into people's lattes without knowing about it, just so that mm. amount, that weight can be moving. Um, yeah, so that gets me excited. <laughs> I th- and I think telling the story of, like, pr- pr- how, how can we as an industry, everything, every you know person in the supply chain from the customer at our cafe to the barista to the roaster and on down the line, you guys, the farmer, like how can we promote a more sustainable future for all parties involved? Like you just telling that story of like the average age of a coffee producer and like that makes me scared. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. and I, and I think fear is like one of the best ways to motivate anyone. <laughs> uh, but definitely customers like commercials you watch on television or no one watches commercials on television anymore, like on YouTube or Instagram. There's so so many of them are fear based. Like, Mm. you know, you don't want to have someone break into your house. So get our alarm system. Like, so I think, um, well, I personally don't like fear based marketing. Yeah. But, but I think that the opportunity here lies on the collaboration and it has to be on brand. Right. 
with what you guys want to communicate and on brand on why people come to you guys um, for to, for the first place, and it's how can we as a group, you know, of like people working with young producers and the young producers themselves, how can we add to that conversation so that mm -hmm. that message that needs to be on brand mm, creates even more curiosity mm -hmm. and that drives sales, mm -hmm. right? And then that could be either co-designing a process, like, oh, the people love the orange wash. What else do you have? Well, how about a mm, watermelon wash? I don't know. Like, so It could be something like that. Or it could be like, how about, oh, or people love when there is a new packaging. How about we co-design a new packaging? Mm -hmm. right? or, or, or the people love when we give them valuable content okay how about we do this series of videos of what etc right yeah. is how can you create um something that creates curiosity and creates a deeper relationship with your customers that is on brand with what you're communicating but adding a different layer which is this side of the of the i guess supply chain I do think it's mostly it is an education conversation because there's a lot of consumers that specialty coffee they take for granted, you know, for a lot of for a lot of different reasons. Mm -hmm. And like he's saying, like every producer, we're not. I mean, most producers like have the choice to participate in specialty coffee or you know let their coffee go to the to the cooperative, you know. And so, I think if we if we continue down this road. And people know about it. Like consumers, like know about where specialty coffee is headed. Like Lucas could probably speak more to this too. But like, if we continue this like aging out of coffee farmers and we're not attracting new farmers into specialty coffee, like we're gonna well for one like prices will probably go really high mm -hmm. on specialty coffee. But it's also gonna be like a lot of these farms are gonna probably be bought up by the larger corporations anyways. Mm -hmm. And so like, I do think like. It can't be fear-based, but I do think education, like the direction that specialty coffee is going, without a cer certain change, like it's not a sustainable model the way it is now. And so, like, but if people understand that, I think people would be more willing to be open-minded about like what a different model could look like. Lucas, you said something uh, recently um, that I want to go back to. You said that. Everything, everything you do has to be validated by the market, which I just think is so such valuable wisdom for anyone, um, especially like like and, I, and I th then after that, I think you said like if we're doing a, a social initiative, you know, we're fixing something in the world that needs to be fixed. It has to be any like social initiative only goes so far by taking, you know, donations Um which I'm, you know, that helps to some yeah, degree. Yeah. There's tons of nonprofits out there that are completely supported by um, donations, but <laughs> that only. Sorry, I'm getting choked up. That only goes so far, and so I, I'm just curious, like for you personally, how did you learn that? That like, and what I mean is the the social initiative that has to be validated by the market need. How did you learn that? How did you come to that? Uh, how did I learn that realization? Damn, I don't know how to learn. <laughs> was it was it by s swagging your MBA at Clemson? 
Ah, yeah, I had an MBA at Clemson, yeah. Congratulations. Thank that. you, sir. Thank <laughs> you, I did sir. a little research, all right? <laughs> really did your research. that you are uh, not, not a bad swimmer either, right? Oh, yeah, I was. That's why I came to the U.S., yeah. To swim? To swim. Oh. Mm. <laughs> what do you love about swimming? I just want a quick tangent. Yeah, way to derail my question. Um, no, I mean, I like the, the challenge that it represents, the challenge. So, like, I, I, I had a different appreciation of life when you train for a whole year just to improve half a second on a race. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah, and then you're, like, happy with that result. <laughs> right. That's awesome, though. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But ha- that half a second is like how much more of a chance of winning? Oh yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah, probably so yeah, much. Yeah, yeah. Hmm. But still, you know, like you last year you did tw- twenty four seconds on a fifty, and then this year twenty three point five, and maybe maybe you won, right? Or maybe mm-hmm. you didn't. Yeah, but it's still improvement. Mm-hmm. Yeah. A whole year. Wow. Yeah. But yeah, that uh, just that business philosophy. I'm sure you mm. draw so from that. My my family. My it's very entrepreneurial. It's like, you know, those families that everybody's a doctor. So in my family, everybody's an entrepreneur mm. or, or like space. So the conversations with my dad have ever since I was like 15 that I started to build a better relationship with him has been around um, business, philosophy, psychology, anthropology. So we read a lot of books together. I I work with him, so I, I work at the family business also. Mm-hmm. And yeah, so I've learned a lot in in and 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 I've always you know sold stuff when I was I've sold candy, swimsuits, shoes, things like that. So you know the market has been. <laughs> if I brought some shoes that nobody liked, nobody bought them. You know. So, yeah. So it and it's an understanding of. And, on, and also a really humbling lesson that you learn from sales is that you can only, mm, especially in business-to-business sales, you can only be successful if your customers are successful. So it, it teaches you to put the other in front of you. It's a very em- empathetic, empathy, a lot of empathy in that mm-hmm. it's a constantly building empathy. So like, when you think about your wholesale accounts, you can only grow if they grow. And then you got to design your business for their success. And that's what we have learned to do at Unblended. We can, we, our business design for the success of the roasters and their wholesale accounts. Right. Mm-hmm. right. So yeah. I, I guess I learned it then, you know, just years Amazing. of like. <laughs> <laughs> that something that, um, we say at, at the beginning of our trainings, like whenever we're training a wholesale partner on like what a cappuccino is or like what what specialty coffee is or how to pull a shot, like we do trainings in this room and in, in the lab. Um, one of the things that we always say is that your knowledge in this area is only as helpful as your ability to help someone else with it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So like if you have all this knowledge that we learned today, let's say you learn that a traditional cappuccino is six ounces and maybe not 24 ounces. You learn that. Well, that's only as helpful as your ability to like with empathy, help someone else get a drink they want. Right. So I I just think like explaining it in those terms of like, 
it's great if because there's plenty of uh, maybe not as much anymore. I, I don't know if you guys would agree with this, but I feel like there's plenty of baristas that know about the supply chain, mm-hmm. but maybe don't have the skills to communicate that to mm-hmm. a, a random guy right, who's right, trying right. to get a cup of drip. And I, I just think uh, I would love to hear like any success stories you guys have of baristas on the front lines, you know, Let's say there's this random 63-year-old dude getting a 16-ounce cup of drip. What do you, you know, say, Barry? How do, we, how do we, like, give him a great customer experience and not, like, talk his ear off about sure. the dude who farmed his coffee? <laughs> you know, yeah. um, it's just a – I've just seen that done poorly. You know, sure. the, you know yeah. the classic snobby barista. That's the reason we started Valor was to not be that. Right. Um, but also like bridge the gap between education and also just like giving a customer experience that a simple customer experience for people that want a simple customer sure. experience, you know? Yeah. And that's a good question. I think a lot of baristas are, would be interested in like hearing like a perfect answer for that. Like, I don't know if there is, you know, but I think it really comes down to, um, gauging the person's interests, but also understanding what their value, where they find value. Mm -hmm. And so I think about it a lot like this because I'm not a barista anymore, you know, but um, I have a lot of family who has no idea what I I do, you know. (laughs) They don't care about specialty coffee. They're drinking 8 o'clock coffee like every single day, you know. And they'll ask me questions, and, and some of them come, you know, like I don't... It's like, where do I begin? Like, sometimes I'll get questions like that, you know? But I really think it comes down to, like, everybody values something. And finding ways that specialty coffee hits on their values. So, like, if you have, you know, this person that's coming in every single day, maybe you have short little conversations with them, paying attention to opportunities Mm -hmm. and understanding what their value is. Maybe their value, maybe this person is, maybe they're from, like, an agricultural background or something like that. Finding different doors to open for people is really important and keeping your eyes open for like opportunities because like some people will be like my brother-in-law is a professor at App State and he like works in fermentation, you know, he's biochem like, you know, and so like for him, specialty coffee, like I was able to open a door for him talking about like the different fermentations and it was really like, hey, like, can you help me explain? can you help me understand more about like, what are they doing with lactobacillus? Like, what is it? Yeah. I'm like, what is this doing to it? And he's just like, what do you mean? He's like, what are you talking about lactobacillus in coffee? And then it started this conversation, wow. you know? So good. And so yeah. like, but for other people, you know, it's, it's wanting to connect to the source of whatever it is there. You know, people go to farmer's markets because they want to feel close to yeah. where their, you know, products they're buying coming from. Like yeah. that's the door to open for people the science behind it, you know, like the, the brewing side, like there's a lot of different doors to open people's curiosity and to, to place value, point them in the direction of value, um, that they can relate to specialty coffee. Great word. Yeah. That's such great wisdom. I think a lot about too, and you mentioned it was that just relational equity. Maybe it's not on the first conversation with that person. You're like, you have to try this coffee. It's from an 18 year old in Columbia. Right. Her parents aren't really into it, but she's trying. So it really means a lot. If you (laughs) bought this coffee, 
please. Exactly, exactly. But what we've done, I think it's cool that, you know, as we talk to you guys and we just want to continue pushing our industry in this sustainable way, we've had years of relational trust being built with people yes. over time. And a lot of times it's when they come to us after their 600th time there, they're like, what should I get? Yeah. And you're like, oh, I'm glad you asked. <laughs> right, right. We have a crazy coffee that I really like. You should try it. And then you can, can kind of pick it up from there. But I think that's a, a good thing to know is just like the change is not immediate right. on the on the producing end. It also isn't going to be immediate on the right. barista serving end. Yeah. But we have to genuinely care for and love our customers through the ice lattes. Sure. <laughs> to get to a certain point too. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, I think one thing we have done in the past and are trying to get out of is we were certainly more, we just really didn't want to enter this area of seeming like there was a charity case mm-hmm. with the yeah, with the yeah, farmers because yeah. yeah. i we've seen so many businesses do that especially sure. as you know the industry has grown um and successful businesses who have done that and made themselves made themselves the hero in yeah. that you know we are partnering with this farmer and so we really wanted to tread lightly on any communication on yeah. that side of things because we want to be so far from that because we truly believe it's a you know it's a business transaction we're just doing business with someone in a different country we're not you know propping them up uh by any means um so i think we want to if anything be like you know they're the ones helping us by producing this product not like we're the ones helping them by yeah but buying you seem pretty fired up lucas why don't you share it (laughs) Yeah, no, I, I definitely, that's why, that's why, coming back to what you said, like the market has to validate it. So that's, yeah, I, I, I don't like those types of marketing, mm-hmm. which is why we try to be more involved in that collaboration so that we can show or mm, provide avenues to still work with the producer, but from a different angle. How about you have them write a poem, right? And be that the description of your coffee. Or how about you collaborate on the launch, like you do a live event as if they were, you know, as they are the producers, right? As if you would do, as if a, a wine um, bar would do with their wine distributor or wine uh, mm-hmm. winery, right? Mm-hmm. Or thi- things like that that are not the disconnect of here's the face of the farmer and we're supporting them and this poor little, you know, family or yeah. 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 We've seen a lot of that. <laughs> yeah. And the last thing we need is just like when we walk into an establishment and get hit with like 3000 social justice initiatives as oh. soon as we walk in. Yeah. Like we all care about those things and want to see the world be better and see industries be better. And, you know, but like, introducing trying to see change in all those different, you know, social justice areas through more strategic methods, I suppose, like, you know, talking about the farmers and building that actual interest. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. And like what Lucas was saying earlier, like 
that's just treating the symptoms kind of of a system that isn't working, you know? Yeah. yeah. And it's like if we're like if we're not addressing the core issues and we're not willing to to think outside of the box, like maybe we need to make real changes to the actual system. Like I feel like that's where we are. We're like we don't want to create a system that that's a crutch. You know, we want to create a system that thrives like for specialty coffee. Mhm. Man, I wish we were way bigger so we could just buy all your coffee. Yeah. <laughs> no, but what we can do is we could do a, a pilot and test out all these hypotheses to see if the market validates it, you know? Mm-hmm. And as long as it does, then we have, um, I guess, more business for everybody. Mm-hmm. Yeah, maybe I loved in the beginning you spoke about a problem that farmers are aging out and... You spoke of a solution, which is Uvi, and you spoke of, like, testimony in uh, Valeria and other other farmers. What does is, what is some sustainability look like down the road for on your end and in cafes, you think? Just some, some signposts of, mm. like, a sustainable industry. Mm. So I think the... The specialty coffee as an industry will move to a brand bis- brand's business. So mm-hmm. our thing is, can we make sure that in that boat we bring out uh, smaller farmers? Or is it going to be like one of the latest companies that just raised $22 million in, the, in Colombia called Green Coffee? That's buying a, a lot of... So that what you say is already happening. It's a conglomerate that's oh. partially owned by Starbucks that's buying farms to produce mm-hmm. specialty coffee. Gotcha. And then, so is this, are we going to be able to build a system that brings the one hectare landowners or is it just going to be um, a movement created by the three big guys, Nestle, Starbucks, and JAB Holdings? You know? mm-hmm. uh, so how does sustainability look like so <clears throat> I think we, we need to, to move to, a, to a, a, I th- that's what I think. I mean, I might be wrong, and maybe we can do this in a year, and I'll be like, ah, I was wrong. But, <laughs> <laughs> but how I see the business is this needs to move to a brand's business. Yeah. And it's, it's a, a little bit different than if, like a brewery, the, 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 the brand of the producer is out front because it only works when it's a collaboration with mm-hmm. the roaster. So what kind of brand are you guys creating with Felipe, for example, for like the orange wash? Mm-hmm. And is that brand that we as a team need to promote? And that's going to make sure that Felipe's business is thriving and that he's accountable to stay in it. But we need to do it with young people so that they first uh, see recognition in the, in-, in the industry for what they do. They feel seen and important and that they have the accountability and the path to grow that brand and be, you know, have a thriving business mm-hmm. and a career. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, if you follow kind of the natural flow from 1974, Erna first noticed coffees from different continents taste different. Then yeah. coffees from different regions taste different, different countries. Then the same country can taste different. And then... And you kind of just, but the specialty industry just continues to specify. Mm. And now we're going all the way down to the farmer because even in specialty shops, some people are like, 
yeah, we have a we got the Colombia on drip and then the Ethiopia on espresso, and they're like, yeah, yeah what about it? And they're like, eh, yeah, 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 Ethiopia, but yeah. we want to just continue to highlight. You know, maybe now we'll say the the Kenya Nairi Hill Estate, or like, mm. and then yeah, the the yeah the variety, and then but I think what you're saying is like the brand is kind of that anchor point. The farmer is the anchor point for that. That kind of holds it all together. Yeah, I mean, not necessarily that is the name of the farmer or the name of the farm, but the the result of the collaboration, roaster, producer. It's what is the thing that must be mm, pushed. So that could be a name of the coffee or the name, for example, with Portrait, they called it Double Double. It's a name that c- came out of a, of a conversation like that. Mm-hmm. And it's not the name of the coffee or the farm, but it's the name of a Uvi lot that they named Double Double. And it's a brand. It has become, like, you go on their website, it's there, it's on trade. Mm-hmm. And there is a brand that people ask for it, you know. Mm. Mm. That's good. Yeah, I, I think about, um, it's, it's kind of going back to, what you were saying about like, hey, we'd love to buy a container of your coffee, but if we're going to do it, it's got to be a cheap one. <laughs> like in in terms of like our menu slot, that's kind of what we talked about right, last time right. you were here of like our espresso needs to be one of the cheapest coffees on our menu mm. just due to the nature of espresso being right. three dollars or three fifty you right. know, in a cafe. Um, I'm I'm interested to to understand like so one hectare of land that that's a a normal size of colombian colombian farms colombian farms that you you would typically work with yeah yeah. how much output does a hectare of land send like Mm. in a year's harvest like how how much coffee does that produce or can Mm. you even put a number on it good statistic um (laughs) damn I don't know. I guess it depends. Yeah. Well, yeah, I guess it depends, but we can get to an average. And let me see. While you're doing that, the reason I'm asking is like our philosophy with our espresso is that we want the espresso to taste the same every day. Mm. Right. Yeah. yeah and yeah. because back to your point about like market validation, that is what the market is validating. Yes. They want their cop and that's why big mm. uh co-op or what, what's the word you guys are using conglomerate? for conglomerate cooperative cooperative uh yeah. these big companies like like you said the Folgers mountain blend mm-hmm. they need it to taste the same exactly every day every year because that is what the market is validating mm. but for us that's only true in some menu slots because we always want to have a static option and a variety option yeah, yeah like yeah. we always want the espresso to taste the same every day but there are lots of people that want variety. Sure. Yeah, so yeah. we've had the orange wash. We've had other coffees like that. We are going to do more, you know, experimental processes and buy more coffees from you guys. But at the end of the day, they're always in our, like, variety. Variety, yeah. Right. Which is a less poundage. Like, that's we're, mm. we're ordering less coffee for that menu slot because the market buys that less. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure. So... <clears throat> That's what I'm interested in, and that's kind of what we talked about last time. Yeah. Is like, how do we absolutely make you guys sell out of coffee? <laughs> you know, and the way we do that is like 
by filling the our most popular menu slot, which is our flagship blend, two bean blend free throw, um, with unblended. You know, with a, a young farmer, like that's what we want. Uh, and what and what you're saying too is, what does something have to change? Like does does something need to get more expensive or like cheaper for that to happen? You know, like do we need to reevaluate or like make the market see something differently? Uh, um, no, I think uh, strategic partnerships between two companies, whether it's in coffee or in other industries, work when there is one objective in common. If we work together and we bring, you know, Felipe along and we were going, we're going to be like, we're going to make this new shop, for example, um, be profitable in this category. We will create a category for young coffee farmers and then we'll, we'll design different coffees, different price points. And then our goal will be to, this is the margin that we need to hit. Like you this is the margin that we need to hit. This is the level of coffees that we need to sell for it to be a profitable category. And then we go back and be like, okay, can we do that? I was like, can we sacrifice this margin for that expected volume? And then we go to Felipe, can you do the same? And then we get aligned and we test it out and hopefully it goes very well, you know? But those are the things that, uh, so like uh, to summarize it, we, in a strategic, to make that work, we need to have like some sort of a strategic partnership. So mm-hmm. define a goal in common, which is always on, on the last person's. So if it was a wholesale account, it would be on your client. Uh, define some metrics of success. Like this is the margin that we need. This is the volume that we need. And then we go back and then make it work, right? So, oh, th- that type of coffee at that price is very difficult. But how about this coffee? Maybe mm-hmm. we can make it work with this coffee. I was like, oh, that works perfect, you know. Mm. Yeah, and then what you were saying, like Portrait and uh, Finca to Filter, creating those specific menu slots for that. So right. in like the instance of, you know, another company be like, okay, we have this, let's create this menu slot called... We'll call ours triple triple, right? Yeah, <laughs> right. yeah, yeah. Of course. Yes. Triple double. <laughs> quadruple quadruple. What it also <laughs> reminds me of so we, we started doing a seasonal uh blend. It's four different blends in a year's time. Five, five. five. So we have a you know, a fall blend, a winter blend, uh a spring blend, summer, that sort of thing. Um and we but we so we that that was a market need of like a mm. rotating seasonal thing. Great way to make money, right? Right. Right. But to like also one, just because we wanted to, and two, because it helps the sales, we donate a dollar from every bag sold to a charity, a rotating charity. We've done, you know, foster homes. We we've done some whatever current events at the time that were pressing, we would, you know, donate towards that. And so in that menu slot, we the sales for that have increased mm. because not only is it a good idea marketing wise to have a seasonal blend, right, but you're also attaching, you know, a social initiative that like you said, that singular mission. Mm. You're you're aligning what people value. Right. Which right. is a seasonal blend, but you're also 
people love to be a part of donating a dollar to like this foster home down the block. Sure. Um, so I, I think just that using that as a concept, I think will be good for our relationship going forward. Yeah. 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 And all of these things, uh, must be done through understanding of like testing it out, test it out. Doesn't work. Try something else. Yeah. Right. Like, uh, and same, same with you, like, and, and, and the wholesale accounts that you work with, like, mm-hmm. uh, they maybe they buy f- with, from Intelligentsia when you're trying to get a new account. You're like, okay, why do you work with them? Is this, no, oh, the brand recognition. And then you'll be like, well, how about for every pound that you buy, I help you X with Instagram ads, like X money. And then we hopefully have the same impact, right? And then you, you, you're never going to know if it's an experiment, but you test it out and, and if it's on their interest, then people feel like appreciate those things. You know? hmm. This is a good inside look at what it's like for a coffee shop or a coffee roastery to be talking to people yeah. further down the line, which yeah. is awesome. And I think that, you know, talking about when we were about to start, we were talking about misconceptions. Mm. And I think that is a big part of, you know, even consumers who are, you know, like who have an understanding and want, you know, copies from a spe- specific producer and whatnot. They might not understand that we can't just come out of the swinging and do that. And we can't have, you know, a direct trade relationship with every single producer. Like for us with free throw for the first, you know, blank amount of time or any of our copies, we're ordering such low volumes comparatively to what, a company like Intelligentsia would order that right. it's not possible in some yeah, of those yeah. instances. Um, and I think that that is something, unfortunately, that has happened in just like the misconception of like direct and fair trade mm. and how those terms are um, not always helpful, you know? I would love to that end. I would love to just throw some industry buzzwords at you guys <laughs> and one you can riff about your frustrations with them but i would love for you as experts to define <laughs> these terms how about that okay and if you don't know <laughs> just make up something because <laughs> we're on your side we're on your side right and so are all of our listeners uh so and where this comes from is kind of what you're saying is like there's people who walk in our cafe in Alpharetta and they want, if there's two coffees, there's coffee A and coffee B. They're both priced the same. Mm. One of them is a coffee. The second one is organic, fair trade, direct trade. Uh, I mean, what else? Rainforest Alliance certified. Rainforest Alliance certified. Bird friendly. Yeah, like yes. mold Bird free. Sanctuary. Grain pro. Mold free. People say this nowadays. Is yeah, your coffee, that's, that's is your, the worst one. Is your coffee mold-free? I'm like, <laughs> as far as I know. I mean, <laughs> I don't really know what you're talking about, but I hope so. Yeah. Um, have you, when you hear those terms, how do you how do you respond? I mean, we can go both. Yeah. No, I I think there's. You hope there's a lot of good intentions, but behind a lot of like the certifications, but. I think as a consumer, if if you're using those pretty much exclusively like to guide your buying practices, I think it doesn't give you the full picture. 
and it might like I don't know like for example for organic like practices like organic certifications are really expensive and like a lot of farmers are practicing organic farming already and they might not have like the resources to go through and get their certification to be organic mm-hmm. you know or rainforest alliance or whatever you know and so i think like painting a broad a broad stroke across the specialty coffee with these certifications like i think it's lim- very limiting in the amount of like understanding what you're actually doing like i think it's putting farmers in a box i don't know I'm sure you can edit that. <laughs> no, that was perfect. Okay. Yeah, we're going to really chop that yeah, one yeah, up. Yeah, yeah, chop that one up. Because <laughs> um, everything we've said so far has been scripted. So, Right, right. Uh, what What does organic farming mean? And what what is non-organic farming when it comes to coffee? So organic means that you use organic fertilizers and organic um, pesticides uh, to control or not pesticides, but practices to control the growth of your crop and the the health of your with you know, pests, right? Um, <clears throat> the problem is that you find this, let, let's talk in terms of green coffee, this 330 organic fair trade Mexican coffee, and you're like, how in the world can it be so cheap? And it's because it's uh, there's a lot of corruption around it. So if a farmer is associated to a cooperative, the cooperative pays for the certification or bribes the person that comes and checks, then they sell it as uh, as organic. And then what's sad about it is that, that, that money that the end consumer is paying for that differential it doesn't really necessarily go all the way to to a farm, right? Mm-hmm. Especially in those cases. Not all cases, obviously. Not all cases. But when you see those uh, very inexpensive green coffees that has those that have those labels, like you can almost be sure that's not true, right? It's more of the co- the cooperative gets those certifications and the coffees that make its way exactly. kind of can bear that title, yeah. and they get blended. So when, you know, just random customers ask, like, uh, let's say we have the orange washed on our menu. Somebody's like, is that fair trade? What do I say? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the thing is... <laughs> super fair. <laughs> <laughs> it was expensive. Yes. <laughs> so, the, so fair trade is also a certification that tries, tries to solve... Um, the symptom, but not the cause. They're trying to go around a structure and bring traceability and um, just certify that this person has been been paid correctly within a in a in a system that's not organized for that. That's why all these companies like Trace, there are other initiatives that companies that come outside of the system and try to bring uh, traceability that didn't exist from the beginning. Uh, so the best way to, you know, tell your customers that this is direct trade or fair trade is that you've talked to the producer, right? What else? Yeah. Right? If you've talked to the, 
uh, if you've talked to Felipe or if you've talked to any of the WE members and we try to do that a lot, um, then that's what else? How much direct trade could that be? If you sure. know that, if they know what you're doing with their coffees and you know where the coffee is coming from and that everybody is, you know, um, thriving with that transaction and that business relationship. Mm. Yeah, maybe since we're talking around this, maybe you could give a little bit of insight to Uvi and where Unblended as a business comes in for the listeners. As Im- importers or yeah, yeah. what you do, you do you buy all the coffee from farmers first to sell to roasters? Is that your... And that's kind of what you were talking about earlier with the, talking to the parents, but like, hey, don't worry, we're gonna buy this coffee and we're gonna we're gonna do everything we can to get it sold. Could you just speak to that a little bit for yeah for the crew? Yeah, um, well, go ahead. Okay. So our business is developing, distributing, and promoting these coffees. Mm-hmm. Uh, so in the development side, we work and say we're gonna buy all your crop. Uh, we need a coffee that's washed for those many categories. We need less quantity of, uh, um, um, uh, let's say, a black honey. And then we need even less quantity of a natural. And that's going to be the mix. And that's how we do the planning for, let's say, Carolina's farm. Mm-hmm. And then Felipe, who is the, the producer of the orange wash, and his team uh, come and design that protocol of the black honey and the natural and then they wash, and we make sure the selection is okay. And then when uh, those coffees are ready, Felipe buys it, and then does all the quality and selection, and then it gets consolidated and exported. And then we buy it when it's here in the U.S. And then we distribute it and promote it, right? So we're like a distributor. Or, if you will, another metaphor could be we're like the managers of this artist but the artist would be like the producers we help them develop their potential and promote it with the relationships that we have here in the u.s mm-hmm. so i guess that's what we would do what else do you say no i think that's it's pretty close but i think facilitating like we see ourselves as kind of like a brand platform you know and so we, we are in the middle. We're in that, that slot of where an importer would be. But really, like, we're creating that. We're, like, facilitating the highway of information kind of mm-hmm. back and forth. Like, mm-hmm. so to make sure that value gets passed and communicated well, whether it's, like, through calls or through collaborative projects and things like that to the roasters. But also making sure that the circle, like, comes back full circle, you know? So, like, that the producers are getting feedback from roasters and that they're getting that incentive passed back, you know, to produce higher quality copies, to do innovative things, to be creative. Because like, I think traditionally the highway of information has gone one way and not really back towards the producers. So I think for us as Unblended, it's Mm. really important that that highway is going two ways. Yeah. Yeah. I I guess I would never think of that like but we're going to tell you how a coffee was received and perceived at the market level I guess Barista to guest and you're not just going to sit on it but you're going to take that back to 
the exporters and the producers and Felipe and be like, hey, yes. the orange wash killed it. Mm, right. Yeah, Let's exactly. do some more of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's try watermelon. Whatever. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. No, and we and, and we'd like uh, now with social media and stuff, uh, we every coffee release, when there is an Ubi meeting, we show who's released coffees from whom. And we put together this presentation of like this, look at Edison, how they played Valeria's coffee, look at Summit, look at Baylor, what mm-hmm. they did, look at their packaging. And they get super excited. Like, I mean, you see your name in a beautiful box like that. It's very, mm-hmm. you know, it's, you feel proud. Yeah, I guess that gets back to the, the fuel for the farmers of the recognition, you mm-hmm. know? Yes. And so we can see that in... Google reviews or just right. being in the physical space and someone says, I love your coffee exactly, shop. Exactly. Yeah, but yeah, for yeah. them, it, it's something a little more like has to be either social media or uh, maybe through a, a call, like you're yeah, saying, yeah, yeah, talking yeah. to them. Right. Wow. Do you guys care if I show this and talk about it really quick? Because I just want to point out how yeah, yeah. great your marketing and setting mm-hmm. up the us for success was. Oh, nice. So we purchased this, we purchased the orange wash from you guys and then I receive this email from Sophia, who is your sister. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and it, you know, here's an illustration. So <laughs> great illustration about you know this is one of the most important things for us whenever we purchase a coffee is receiving something like this so we can mm-hmm. properly you know put the specs to the coffee. So this and then this was a basis for us being able to communicate to our customers what this experimental processing was. So that was amazing, and then. Also, an Instagram post, which uh, I don't think we used it, but it was, like, you know, amazing, like, to receive something like this that um, just went beyond, you know, just purchasing a coffee. Um, And just a great little uh, breakdown. I I love stuff like this. This is... uh, this is what makes business fun. And then we d- definitely used all of this, uh, all of these pictures, um, which were, I mean, look at these. <laughs> They're great. I think we showed a lot of this in our staff meeting. Yeah. Oh, nice. Mm-hmm. That's so fun. Um, like these farm pics, which are all excellent pictures, by the way. Someone on your team take these. Yeah, yeah. No, we, and we also have, like, higher quality pictures. Oh, yeah, those are mm-hmm. higher quality. Yeah, good. Like, who like takes the pictures? So, uh, excellent. My, my sister's friend, Juan Daniel, or John, has taken the pictures. One of my brother's friend also. Ooh. Can infusion with uh, coffee flour. Mm. Yeah, I was curious I was what that curious. was. Beautiful pictures. And so you yourself live... In Colombia, yeah, I live in Colombia. Barry's here. Yeah, we're, look at that's me. <laughs> <laughs> hey, handsome, looking good, looking good. But uh, yeah, that's Barry, your, yeah, that's your model shot. You. I mean, okay. look at that. Uh, wow. So you, <laughs> what's even in your hair? In, like, oh, how was the lighting? Room. That perfect. You, know? <laughs> you worked at a coffee shop. Yes, you were on that side. Of the uh, yeah, I just had to, and had to brag on you. you have guys. any? Oh, I, I just want to know quick. if you have any um, advice or um, I remember. I think after I received opinions this email, or just, like, suggestions for people who are thinking about no transitioning one to that we've ever supplied side has mm. been this uh, through because I think 
Thank you. I, I know several people who See, have done that's that. That's the kind of yeah. feedback that um, makes you flex. likely and <laughs> that's your recognition. That's mainly our because recognition. of yeah. like you're doing increased you. career <laughs> opportunities. Mm. So are, are we taking uh, like can you speak into that? I, sure. Yeah, I always I mean, have like a the two hour wall, and I'm like, it doesn't began matter. Began looking we're for something outside yeah, of the cafe. Like so I feel free. So to, I started in specialty yeah, coffee. Get, get so I actually here. started at Starbucks <laughs> like ten years ago, 2012. <laughs> and I was a barista. You know, kind of went up the ranks a little bit in Starbucks. I was there for a few years, and <clears throat> really special like coffee. Like the origin side of things was initially the thing that was most interesting to me, like the farm side, the producing, the processing. Um, and even while I was at Starbucks, like there's some level of education that they offer that I went through and I was like, this is amazing. You know, like before that, like I was just, I was drinking really cheap coffee, you know, in a French press that was probably like three times too strong. And so, yeah. but joining like, like going through that education, like, I've always been interested in brewing, but it was never like the thing. It was more of the, it's amazing to me that, that the coffee industry is, is so big and it's like only in, you know, tropical like environments and like these farmers that are producing this, there's so many different variables that are, uh, affecting how coffee tastes in the cup, you know? And that was like the first thing that I really attached to in, in specialty coffee. And then I actually went to, uh, out of the coffee industry, but I worked for like a label printing company and, uh, in Greenville, South Carolina, and I was in customer service. And so I worked with a lot of coffee roasters who would print labels for their bags. Are we talking frontier? Yes. Yeah. Frontier. So I worked Come for on. them. Yeah. In Greenville. <laughs> and so I started like, you know, I, people would send me their artwork and stuff and it would be like, you know, this coffee tastes like milk chocolate, dried cherry and blueberry. Mm. And I'm like, come on nah you know and i and i just left starbucks you know i'm like i doubt it you know mm-hmm. i'm like they're just you know fabricating these tasting notes like there's no way this tastes like lime like key lime you know whatever mm. and so i remember i can't remember it was the first i think it was ceremony actually mm-hmm. that we printed some labels for and i like was emailing with the person and i was like are you serious like there's are you serious <laughs> are these real tasting notes you know and I, I was coming from it from like I knew a little bit about coffee but not much about specialty coffee like higher stuff and and they were like yeah I'll send you a bag and so like mm. a few days later I got a bag and we're in the office and we're brewing it up and I'm like man this is wild like I've never I never tasted like a lighter profile like that and I was like coffee I was like this just opened up a whole world for me you know and so uh I began to ask like all the roasters that I like. <laughs> can you send me yeah. coffee? Can you send? Hey, hey, like that looks wild. Like there's yeah. no way that. No, hey, I'll send you back. You start yeah, by so, doubting them, and then they're right. like, "No, really." No, like, yeah, yeah. So I, I mean, won't believe it until I taste yeah. it. Yeah, you're that's gonna not, have to send uh, me a bag. It's, it's true because like I did like start developing some other you know like roaster relationships. They send bags and stuff, and that's how I started trying like more specialty coffee. And then I moved to Charlotte right after that, and I. You know, I got a job because I needed a job fast and as a barista in Charlotte and kind of same deal. Like I started as a barista, went to a shift lead, got my own cafe that I was managing, you know, joined the leadership team. I was there for seven years, you know, and had a really great experience. But in the end, like, like I love being a barista and I was good at it. Like I I really attached to the hospitality sides of things and um, I love the customer interaction, like I, I like being I liked being a barista, but in my journey, I always felt more called and more like intrigued by the 
like supply chain side of things because I wanted to know more. I wanted more education. Like I went through as many certifications as I could, you know, like with some, with we were a counterculture wholesale account. So like I went through the whole counterculture thing and, and that was really informative. Like it was a, another step, like another level that I could understand like the supply chain, but mm-hmm. really it was still kind of limiting, you know, because you get a high flyover view and you kind of, you, you, you understand it with still like American glasses on, you know? And really like when I decided that I had made the choice, I'm like, I'm, I'm leaving the cafe. Like, I don't know necessarily what's next. Like, to be honest, I struggled with what was going to be next for me in a coffee career, you know? And I had come to terms with maybe this is the end of my coffee career. You know, maybe I find a job outside of, of coffee that, you know, has the things that I'm looking for, you know, but I still, I I mourned that, you know, but when I let go of like, this has to be my next job has to be a coffee job. I kind of let go of that, but it was sad for me because this is my experience. This is what I was like passionate about. And I think a lot of baristas and a lot of like people who are in cafes feel overwhelmed or, you know, discouraged that there's not more opportunities to, because really you can be a shop manager and if you, you know, you could be a shop owner if you want to take that step, you know, but like, uh, what we were saying earlier, like the two ends of the supply chain, like the producers and the baristas, like, I do feel like those are the most disconnected from the middle, you know? Mm -hmm. And so for me, it felt like a, like a ceiling that I was hitting that I couldn't really like see into like opportunities in the supply chain until, you know, unblended at the time was looking for someone to, to join, to join their their team. But I I guess advice is like, take, uh, make as many, like the coffee industry is so connected, you know, like we're in the grand scheme of things, we're still a pretty small, like small industry, Mm -hmm. you know? And so like, I really think it just, I don't really know like what I'm trying to say, but I think it's important to like make connections and, and be open and like let people know that you're like wanting to have a career in coffee. And that's really like what we're looking to do is like find ways that the industry can change and adjust that there are more opportunities and and that other opportunities in the supply chain feel more accessible. And there's not this kind of level of like gatekeeping information because like the green coffee, like supply chains, like it's like, we're holding it close. Like we don't want other anybody else in it. Like, cause mm-hmm. I feel like that, uh, that approach is, is going away, you know, because like there's a lot more transparency these days. There's a lot more, uh, willingness to share information. And like for us, like it's important that we bring baristas into that and understanding of it. And I think really breaking down those walls is kind of the most important thing. Great. Uh, I know that we're going to wrap up, but just because you're Colombian doesn't mean you're, I just assume that you work in coffee. So how did you <laughs> stumble into this? Cause you seem to operate this with such conviction and hope and vision. But I know that, you know, a little bit of your story was you came up here and you went to Clemson and for swimming. So how did, how did coffee touch your life? Hmm. Yeah, nobody in my family is in coffee actually. Mm-hmm. They, yeah. So it was uh, when I actually went to Wingate, North Carolina. It's close to Charlotte. That was for swimming. 
And then when I left, I got a job in inside sales at a, at a company called Asa Abloy. And then at the same time, I, I was doing a marketing agency with one of my best friends from college. So I, <clears throat> we were doing website development and social media marketing for uh, five small businesses in Monroe, North Carolina. And then my uncle, my mom's uh, brother, reached out. At the time, now I was in, in Clemson. So I did work for a year, agency, went into Clemson, and then I was still doing the agency. And then he reached out to us, you know, as, as a client, if we, we would develop his website so he could, could sell coffee in, in the United States. Mm. And we did. And we did like an arrangement with him that we would, uh, he would pay us back like in a commission. And then we sold to all my friends and then we didn't sell anything else. (laughs) 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 We we did this website, this marketing, and then we couldn't sell any coffee. (laughs) And we're like, damn, we've been doing this for a year, social media, paid advertisement, social media, we can't sell shit. (laughs) So then I was like, oh man, like I gotta figure this out. So. Uh, then we tried selling it at a grocery store. You know, we were roasting it in Colombia and selling it here, but the package was not good. It was in Spanish, you know. Oh. And then I didn't know about coffee at the time, obviously. So then besides uh, my building where I was taking classes, there is the original methodical location in downtown Greenville. So I looked at their website, and then there was the owner, Marco Suarez. I was like, oh, this guy's Latin. I'm going to reach out to him. <laughs> and then, how you guys, do you guys know Marco? Mm-mm. He's like the know. most gringo person. That just, he just has a oh, Latin. Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> we, just, we just hung out with Will in our time with okay. Nipotical. Nice. Yeah. yeah. So Marco is, I mean, his dad is from Chile, but he is born and raised in the United States, super American. So I went and had a meeting with him, expecting that he was going to be Latin. And uh, he was just... But he was very kind. And, and then uh, he walked me through all the story of Methodical. And then he actually got me a meeting with Will. Hmm. And I had never seen green coffee in my life. So then we did a copy. I had never done a copy. <laughs> and then we was just, I was just following Will. He was copying. I was like... Just putting the table, the spoon down, and then I would put my spoon <laughs> down. <laughs> and then he would be like, "Oh, this coffee is good. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's my favorite. Yeah, that's <laughs> one, yeah. <laughs> oh so we did a, a copying with with Will. I mean, in and in trying to sell this coffee because I was that was what I had in mind. I was like, I had no idea. How can we? How could? How could we have done a website and not sell anything? Like, so I just wanted to learn about it. And then Will liked one of the coffees and he placed an order. And then that was a whole nother shit show of like how to bring that coffee to the United States. Yeah. <laughs> Whoa. So I guess that was the start of my coffee journey. That's amazing. Do well, you, do you like the freaky stuff now? Like the crazy coffees that you're... Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. No, no, 100%. I love, I love this industry. Super connected. I think uh, there's... I love the the social purpose opportunity and how passionate people are. Like it brings people together. I'm in love with this industry. Yeah. Mm. Nice. We have something in common in that 
Will helped us out a lot yeah. whenever we were starting Valor. So he was. Oh. He, we went and met with an importer um, in Charleston, and then on the way back, this is like summer of 2018 when we decided that we wanted to roast. I guess spring 2018, mm-hmm. and Will <coughs> let us be on site for a whole roasting day at Methodical cool. while he, mm. him and Stephen showed me and Riley how to roast coffee. Oh, nice. And, uh, mm-hmm. It was awesome. It's very gracious. So we're trying to get him on the on the program soon nice. enough, too. Oh, so. yes. That'd be awesome. Yeah, he's a super sweet guy. Yeah. He's going to Colombia in February. Oh, no yeah, way. He's going to visit us there. Yeah, Sounds like awesome. we're going to Colombia. Hell yeah. 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 No. <laughs> Let's do it. That'd be awesome. That would be awesome. We're right doing a trip in November. Okay. November. Yeah. So yeah. Ooh, I'll be having a baby in November. Hey, right? she'll, she'll be able to handle yeah. it. <laughs> I won't, I'm not giving birth, yeah. so yeah, yeah. that's a good point. You're straight. You're good. Thank you guys so much. No, what an amazing you. time. I hope that, I mean, I know I learned a lot. Yeah, me too. Yes. Um, I'm encouraged, you know. There is, there's some reality to our industry, but there's also hope, mm. and collaboration uh, is definitely the best path forward oh, to yeah. a sustainable yeah. industry. Thank you, guys. Yeah, yeah. Thank, thank you. you. Love thank you. you. It's been All a right. pleasure. Uh, hey, you guys want to give any shout-outs before we go? Mm. Got any people you want to shout-out? Well, the world's I, listening. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We're huge. No, I guess to, shout-outs to everybody that has been in, um, there with us yes. at the beginning. Uh, Felipe has been a huge help. Uh, no, the guys at Ally gave us a, a good hand right now with the container. So that's a whole other story. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, I guess. What, what would you say? No, yeah. Thank you for having us. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. For everyone who has been a supporter and who's attached uh, to the mission that we're on and who supported us and for believing in us, like, thank you. Yeah. To everybody that thinks they can change the world because that's what we live for. Yes. Love it. Awesome. All right. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Thank Thank you. Thank you.